This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Oh, coming up, uh, Gabby Sanchez in about 30 minutes on the ACC Baseball Championship. Scott Forbes led Carolina to said championship. He'll be with us in about 90 minutes this morning on the program. Um, The best and worst of the weekend is pretty clear cut here today. And that's unfortunate because when you get to this point in the year, Drew, the best of the weekend keeps moving on technically. And the worst of the weekend, oh, time to pack it up, clean things out for the last time. So this is a little more pronounced than I'd like it to be. But that's kind of what happens this time of year, unfortunately, as we get to the end of the athletic calendar. However, I know yesterday was tough for NC State fans because their baseball team had a chance to win an ACC championship for the first time since 92, and it didn't go well. But all has not been lost on that process, Drew, because Nell Miller and Jada Daniel won the NCAA Women's Tennis Doubles National Championship to kick off best of the weekend. So even with the gray skies kind of swarming in in baseball, the sunshine comes out on Nell and Jada. Congratulations for this, huh? Major congrats. Pack pride. Who needs an ACC championship when you can go ahead and win an NCAA championship? Uh, It's been a banner year for the league. We talked about this on all ACC last night on ACC Network, which I'm sure everyone was watching. And uh, seven team championships for the ACC this academic year, which ties a conference record. I was told during the break that this doesn't count as one of those championships because it's not a team championship. But I'm going to say go ahead, give it seven and a half team championships for the ACC. So it's the greatest year in league history. Congratulations, Snell and Jada. Yeah, well done there. Uh, Here's something that um, is the best of the weekend. Uh, Jack Harlow, performing at the Forecastle Music Festival, wore a Haley Van Lith jersey during his performance. Now, Harlow from Louisville, noted Cards fan, rocks out the HVL jersey yesterday. That's pretty awesome. Wes, this was the thing I was looking forward to most about this show. Uh, Because last time I hosted, it was with Dana Boyle, who is also younger, I would say, and and might listen to Jack Harlow. My question for you, Wes, is what's your favorite Jack Harlow song? I'd be, I don't know one, quite simply. I I know Jack Harlow's performs. My My son is a fan. My son is a fan. First class I hear is a good song. How's that? Well, the fact that you could even pull a name of a Jack Harlow song from the discography is pretty impressive. Not bad. Uh, that's a good oh, one. How about What's Poppin'? What's Poppin' was his big smash hit. Okay. Uh, Jack Harlow gets the Jeff Walls tweet last night, representing Haley Van Lith Jersey last night. Yeah, I like that. Um, so Jack Harlow, Jack Harlow's a thing. Um, <laughs> and he wears the HVL jersey. So there we go. I beg, hey, look, I'm happy to tell you at 56, I don't know many Jack Harlow songs, but uh, I heard a first class. How's that? I did, I did pull first class off the top. So there you go. 
pretty impressive. This is my payback, though. There's another one. There's another one called on Nail Tech, side. Drew. There's another one called Nail Tech. Is that right? That one I don't know. I'm not a Jack Harlow stan, as the kids oh, say. Oh no! Wait I, a second. I know enough. Okay, so hold, hold on. <laughs> You're casting, and yet you don't have. Is that what we're doing? You're qualifying <laughs> these conversations? Is that it? You're not actually a Jack Harlow fan? Okay, I got it. All right. Okay. Wes. I'm working through Wes, this. Just one one time, one time, I want my age to be a plus because every time I'm on the air with Paul Carcaterra, he pulls out some movie reference from like 1972 and then hates on me when I don't know it. He pulled out the put it on Underhill reference from a Chevy Chase movie from the 80s and was appalled when I didn't know it. It's like, dude, that movie came out 15 years before I was born. Well, first of all, the movie is Fletch. It's a great line, and you need to watch it. It's pretty simple. See, I'm of the belief that as we move forward, you're going to understand like everybody likes this Top Gun Maverick thing that's out. All you really got to do is watch the first one to understand any of the second one, right? But there are also some required movies that everybody of any age should watch. Like, you know, when I was a kid, like your age, I watched, uh, you know, Pride of the Yankees, the Lou Gehrig movie. Um, No Time for Sergeants. It's a black and white movie. It was a comedy in the 50s. Uh, It was a precursor kind of to the Andy Griffith show. Um Kelly's Heroes, a great war movie with Clint Eastwood, Telly Savalas, Don Rickles, Donald Sutherland, Carol O'Connor. Great movies. See, so when then Cart goes to the, you know, movie lines, you'd be well aware of them. And they're actually really good and they're still pretty applicable. Plus, you can also see that Hollywood just remakes everything in about a 35-year or 25-year cycle, too. Are those available on streaming platforms or only on VHS? Oh yeah, or film? No, 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 no. Okay. no you, yeah, you can get them on stream. So, all right, we got to get along here on the best of Tommy White, twenty seventh home run, set an NCAA freshman record. Uh, he's already got a Wolfpack single season record, and this guy here. Now, by the way, this thing is a scene now. This, I mean, people like come back to their seats when they know Tommy White's at bat. And I'm not taking anything away from anybody else, but I'm just going to tell you, there there's some things that come along every once in a while. We were talking about Charlotte North. The way this guy hits the baseball, I mean, the three home runs against Miami, Drew, were all opposite field shots and pitches away. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I think two of them were outside the strike zone that he hit, by the way. I'm just saying. Wes, I actually had a Tommy Tanks moment. I was watching UNC-NC State baseball and then UNC-BC lacks, and it was a commercial break in the lacrosse, so I flipped over to the baseball. I saw Tommy Tanks was up. I knew that the lacrosse was back on, and it was a championship, so I wanted to watch it. But when Tommy White comes up, you do not flip the channel. This guy is in the bond zone, where if, if he's at the yep. plate, you must watch. Because, I mean, what you said, three – Oppo tacos in one game? Nobody does that. Especially not freshmen. Yeah. Especially not guys with the flow and the nickname like Tommy White. He's must see television. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, we go to lacrosse again. The women's lacrosse weekend was sensational for the ACC. Championship game was a classic. But BC and Carolina both staged comebacks in Friday's semifinals. Carolina had the 
seven-goal comeback in the final period uh, to beat Northwestern, and BC had to rally against Maryland. So the comebacks for Carolina and BC are our best of the weekend as well here, Drew. Carolina looked dead in the water in that game against Northwestern. Uh, Wildcats team those playing super well. Uh, they had just beaten Syracuse in the quarterfinal, a team that had been in the national championship last year. Northwestern, super dangerous. Came out and punched UNC in the mouth. Remember, Carolina barely beat Stony Brook in the quarterfinal. So you come off that stiff test, and you are immediately down 6-0 before you even blink against Northwestern. And you come all the way back. I mean, they were tested in the quarterfinals, obviously tested again against Northwestern. But BC had to do the mm. same thing against Maryland. They had to come back. It wasn't as many goals, but it was a shorter time period. They were down three goals with under eight minutes or so against Maryland, which is the premier program in the sport. Uh, and they came all the way back and they won. And it wasn't just Charlotte North. It was Weeks and Martello combining to win that game for BC. And I mean, the championship game was amazing, but it wouldn't have happened without two unbelievable comebacks. Yep. Uh, individually, by the way, Sam Geiersbach, uh, eight goals in the championship weekend for Carolina, including the go-ahead goal, I think, yesterday, right? Uh, just phenomenal. You mentioned the comeback uh, effort she posted against Northwestern. Yesterday in the championship game, the go-ahead goal is Carolina rallied from a deficit at halftime. So Sam Geiersbach, eight goals over the weekend in Baltimore. Charlotte North – by the way, is also on this list too, Drew. Charlotte North was doing Charlotte North things yesterday and uh, on Friday for Boston College. She finishes with 10 goals during the championship weekend. <laughs> it's laughable, Wes. I mean, what she does is just different. 358 career goals. I think she had 30-plus in the tournament last year en route to BC's first national championship. She's just spectacular and – uh, she was built for this stage. Sellout crowd at Homewood on ESPN 1, ESPN mm. regular for the first time ever. And Charlotte North just delivered. But Sam Geiersbach, shout out. I believe Dana Boyle said on the broadcast that it was Sam Geiersbach's birthday yesterday. So she gets mm. the spectacular eight-goal individual performance in championship weekend and a national championship for her birthday. Not bad. No, not bad at all. Uh, you mentioned the sellout house. Uh, yesterday they got it in Baltimore, uh, the national television stage on ESPN, and a great game and a terrific crowd. Uh, the BC fans with the neon. Carolina, of course, had great representation. Just a terrific atmosphere for the Women's Lacrosse National Championship game. Yeah, you could see the BC section from outer space, as per usual. <laughs> but Homewood Field, I mean, if you've ever been there for lacrosse, you know it. It's probably the best venue for that sport there is. There's so much history there. Johns Hopkins has all their national championships. They got 44 of them, I think, going back to like 1920. What I don't even think the, <laughs> they had sticks. They might have just played with their hands. But anyway, there's so much history at that venue. Uh, that's the perfect place for this weekend. And again, I mean, we've said it a couple of times, but it's just the culmination. You got to sell out. You got it on ESPN 1. You got the best player ever who's mm. transcendent. And you've got an undefeated team winning the national championship. A uh, couple of championships for Carolina, too. We mentioned women's lacrosse and baseball. So the Tar Heels here are celebrating another 
uh, ACC title and another national championship along the way. Um, and so we uh, congratulate Bubba Cunningham and his programs for that. And uh, the bottom line here on the wrap of the best of the weekend is North Carolina is also uh, one of the four regional hosts for the NCAA baseball championships. Uh, field will be announced at noon today on uh, on ESPN2, and that's tied for the most of any conference. Now, the worst of the weekend is, uh, is pretty stark here. Uh, Virginia Tech beat Florida in a uh, rain-delayed game in the Super Regional over the weekend in Blacksburg. Game started out with 6-0 on Friday, got washed out. They resumed on Saturday morning, and the Hokies finished off the victory. Uh, that was the only win the ACC staged in the Super Regionals. 1-7 and seven goes the ACC in the Super Regionals. Uh, Clemson lost on Thursday night and Friday night. John Ripman's team closes their season. Marissa Young's team uh, at Duke lost in two ball games out on the West Coast to UCLA. Um, Maya Brady's home run on Saturday put UCLA in front to stay, by the way, on the Blue Devils. Um, so a tough, tough weekend for ACC softball. Uh, and combine that with Florida State's upset loss to Mississippi State in the uh, in the first round, and all of a sudden the ACC is done, and no team will make it to Oklahoma City for the College World Series. But doesn't diminish a great year in softball. And then Drew just mentioned the other story here, and we showed you the RPI in baseball. It's hard to believe Notre Dame is not one of the one of the host sites here uh, for the NCAA baseball tournament to be announced at noon today. Let me get up on my soapbox for a minute here, Wes. Notre Dame, the people there have it pretty good, right? I mean, it's a great school. No one's crying for Notre Dame. They've got great history in a bunch of sports, especially football. They got the touchdown Jesus thing. Great. This year for Notre Dame, you should be indignant in South Bend. Not only what happened with your men's mm. hoops team having to play in the first four after finishing second in the ACC, back when everyone thought that the conference was a joke, we learned that that wasn't the case in the NCAA tournament. Notre Dame wins the game in the first four, go on to round one, upset Alabama, almost beat Texas Tech, the three seed in that region. Men's lacrosse is the most egregious snub of them all. That was one of the four or five yep. best teams in the country heading into the tournament, left out of the field entirely. Only one ACC team makes it in Virginia. The defending champs have to go on the road. So that wasn't just Notre Dame. That was the entire ACC. Women's hoops, even. They were a five seed. They should have been a top four seed hosting. So instead they had to go on the road to Norman and punk Oklahoma by 40 plus just to make it to the sweet 16. Brian Ives, who had one heck of a weekend with, with the Carolina arrogance, a national championship for women's lacrosse and a baseball championship ACC. But he's right here. I mean, the selection committees have crushed Notre Dame and the latest snub, the egregious snub is that Notre Dame's not hosting a regional. And I think what happened yeah. here, Wes is, we all know that the SEC is the dominant conference in baseball. And the NCAA has decided to pander to them again. They couldn't have their precious SEC with fewer host sites than anyone else, especially the ACC. So Notre Dame should have been hosting over Florida, who was 15 and 15 mm. in conference play this year, Texas A&M, whose RPI was 22, or LSU, whose RPI was 25. Pick your three. One of those three SEC schools shouldn't be hosting, and Notre Dame should. And it's ridiculous that they get yep. punished 
for playing in South Bend. None of those players chose to put the University of Notre Dame in South Bend. I'm sorry that the weather is cold and they have to cancel a few games at the start of the year. And they start in February with five consecutive weeks on the road. And they're still fourth in the ACC. They still make the semifinals in the ACC tournament. And then they get completely worked over by the committee. I'm not even a Notre Dame guy, but I am upset with this. And maybe it's just a culmination of four different sports getting completely railroaded by the committee, but this is not right. Notre Dame should be right. most. I don't disagree with you. I think in baseball especially, yeah. but the lacrosse thing is still the worst of the year. The lacrosse omission of Kevin Cargan's team is and, – and by the way, the, the backline explanation from the committee is worse – so, you know, hard year for Jack Swarbrick, hard year for Link Jarrett now of baseball having to go on the road somewhere. But at the same time, you know, the process with these committees, I mean, it was interesting in lacrosse, we got different versions of the men's and women's bracket, right? I mean, the, expl- the explanation on the men's side was not anywhere near what the explanation we got on the women's side was. It was really weird like that. I think the NCAA, among all the other things, while you're working on some stuff of this, you got to have a little more clarity with committees too, by the way, uh, and, and why things have happened. And when you take the chairmanship, you got to be willing to talk about it. So all that being said, that's best and worst of the weekend. When we come back, it's been a while since Jim Beheim has talked about things. But Jim Beheim has opened up to Forbes, or believe it or not, not somebody in town, not a national sports publication. He goes to Forbes on the NIL. And guess what? He ain't wrong. And we'll talk about that next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. All right, welcome back, Packer and Durham, on a Monday. Drew Carter's here on this Memorial Day, and uh, we appreciate your time as well. Uh, Coming up, Gabby Sanchez here in about, oh, five minutes or so, and then uh, Scott Forbes, who guided North Carolina to the ACC Baseball Championship, will join us. Um, Over the weekend, Adam Zagoria, uh, writing for Forbes magazine, spent some time with Jim Beheim at the NBA Draft Combine in Chicago. And the topic worked itself quickly to name, image, and likeness, Drew. And Coach Beheim had some fairly pointed comments about, A, how NIL might be helping college basketball, but also how it might be tough for smaller campuses and smaller institutions to overcome. Here are a couple of the quotes that we will share with you. And again, I, if you enjoy this type of thing, I would tell you to read it because it's the first, number one, it's the first we've heard from Beheim in a long time. And this is the first time I've really heard him go in-depth on name, image, and likeness. He said, uh, by the NIL, guys at Carolina and guys at Miami, guys at these schools are coming back because they're going to make more money than they make in the G League. So it wasn't meant to do that. But college teams this year, several are going to be a lot stronger than they would have been because of NIL. He's exactly right. There's no doubt that the financial factor of this is playing into it. Um, He also says uh, that – Armando Baycott, who was considered a borderline draft pick last not la- announced last month, of course, he would come back. He said money helped influence the decision. Uh, Baycott's quoted as saying it would have been close for sure. The decision was close, but it probably would have been closer. I probably would have landed somewhere a little more towards leaving. Beheim says, quote, all these guys at Carolina, all the guys at Miami, they're all making more money. 
and added a lot more. The interesting quote, um, he says, it's I think it's inadvertently helping college basketball be stronger. So you can look at the portal and all these other examples, Drew. Then he goes in on smaller schools. He says in the article, it kills the smaller schools. You develop a good player, now he leaves. It helps some schools. It hurts smaller schools. They'll lose their player to bigger schools to make more money. The whole thing, it's tricky. It's really tricky. So, Drew, I'm going to ask you to uh, take off your ACC network uh, blazer here, per se, and uh, and put the big orange uh, – put your big Syracuse hat on. There we go. Put Otto on for a moment. What do you think about your legendary head coach's comments on name, image, and likeness? My initial reaction, Wes, is where does Syracuse fit in in this big picture? Because I think it's interesting how Jim Beheim used St. Bonaventure as the example of a smaller school that's getting crushed by NIL right now. It's a great example. Right. Uh, he says they probably would have been a top 15 team if they hadn't lost four, yes, four players mm-hmm. to Power 5 schools. The Bonaventure team that was Correct. loaded last year and would have been major favorites in the A-10 and potential top four seed in the NCAA tournament if all those guys came back. But the, the fact that it's St. Bonaventure as the example is interesting to me because it makes me as a Syracuse alum wonder, is Syracuse more Miami or Carolina or are we more St. Bonaventure? Because Syracuse is a place in upstate New York, not exactly in a mm-hmm. hotbed for basketball, not exactly a pleasant climate. I would say. And Syracuse has sort of been struggling to recruit in the last few years. Uh, there are a bunch of reasons for that. Number one, like I said, it's kind of remote. and It's not a place that kids dream of playing college basketball. The Carrier Dome is awesome. It's one of the best environments in the sport. But the city of Syracuse, when you compare it to a, a Chapel Hill or a Coral Gables, this doesn't really add up. And the 2-3 zone, especially in today's day and age where we talked about Steph Curry and guys are shooting from five feet beyond the three-point line. It sort of hampers your draft stock because no one knows if you can play man-to-man defense. It's hard to recruit at Syracuse. So where mm-hmm. do the Orange fit in here? Are they more heels or Hurricanes, or are they more Bonnies? Because even though Syracuse is in the ACC and has a great history, happy birthday, Carmelo Anthony, by the way. Yesterday was his birthday. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up with some of these other ACC schools. Look at Duke. I mean, the NIL money at Duke is through the roof right now. Um, I don't know where Syracuse fits in this big picture. And see, this goes back to a comment and a topic that Mark and I got into a little bit at Amelia Island with some administrators and with some people that follow college athletics and work around college athletics. Every institution is going to have a decision to make here. And Syracuse maybe have made theirs. Maybe they haven't. Who knows? It depends on how you subscribe to your particular institution. But some of them have to make a tough decision. Are we going to get in a game where the financial vertical is against everything our institution kind of stands for, mission-wise, statement-wise, values-wise, philosophically, curriculum-wise, whatever the case may be? And let's be honest, some institutions know that that name, image, and likeness money is counterintuitive to their own fundraising, their own development, their own institutional advancement. That's a tough spot, and it's one that's kind of getting lost in this. Because, Drew, you know this. Syracuse is a pretty good enrollment, pretty good endowment, pretty good alumni support, powerful alumni support at times. 
Yet there is something awkward about this particular situation for some schools. Is Syracuse in that boat? Perhaps they are. I don't know that. But And by the way, this is not exclusive to Syracuse. There are a lot of schools that are going to have this. Public, private, small, large, that are going to really struggle with this particular dynamic that Bayheim's talking about. My message to Syracuse is dinosaur barbecue. Where you at? Pony up. Let's get some NIL money. I mean, dinosaur barbecue is famous, not just in Syracuse, but across the ACC footprint. Pony up. Adam Weitzman. NIL was built for you, dude. I mean, this is a guy who mysteriously brings like Gronk and Tom Brady and Justin Bieber to Syracuse basketball games. Adam Weitzman. Let's use these back channels, man. Let's get some five stars up to central New York. NIL was built for a guy like Adam Weitzman. but it's a really it's a good question, Wes, and it's a fascinating conversation. I will credit Jim Beheim though for doing what Beheim does and playing contrarian, because you talk to pretty much any coach, especially in college football, all they're going to do is complain about NIL and lament the fact that NIL is ruining the sport. Well, Jim Beheim isn't yeah. taking a hard stance, good or bad, but he's looking at it from a nuanced perspective and saying, "Hey, it's good for some people, it's bad for some people, but for the sport." It's actually a pretty good thing. And I appreciate that Jim Beheim, a guy who's 77 and has been doing this for four and a half decades, says that. There you go. When we come back halfway home on a Monday, we will turn back to baseball on the weekend that was in Uptown Charlotte at Truist Park. Uh, or true is it Truist Field in Charlotte? It's Truist Field. Field. Yeah. Field. Truist yeah. Field in Charlotte, which is also Truist Field in Winston-Salem where Wake plays football. And when we come back, Gabby Sanchez, who is at Truist Field, will join us. And we will talk about the league, the tournament, and today's announcement of the NCAA selections next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Halfway home on a uh, Monday, Packer and Durham here on ACC Network. Drew Carter's in for Mark. And uh, it is a selection Monday for NCAA baseball. And for that, uh, we bring on uh, one of the voices of the ACC baseball championship this weekend, Gabby Sanchez, who's already back home in South Florida and uh, joins us this morning. First of all, Gabby, I appreciate the extra effort to do the show today because uh, – well, I hate Packers not here to hear that you had uh, trials and tribulations <laughs> on American Airlines last night. Well, it was a good one. I was supposed to get home at 8.20, ended up getting home about 1.30-ish around there, got to bed right around 3 o'clock. So there's a very good possibility that as soon as we finish here, I'm then going to go back to that bed. <laughs> All right, Drew? <laughs> Well, Wes and I, I mean, we're on the same page. We're Delta always, even if we're flying from Charlotte. I'll connect twice (laughs) to avoid flying American Airlines. But thanks for doing this, Gabby. I mean, you were down in Charlotte to see the ACC tournament. What a tournament it was. The depth of the league showcased with an 8, a 10, and an 11 seed in the semifinals. Carolina is as hot as anyone. What was your biggest takeaway from the week in Charlotte? Um, I mean, my biggest takeaway was that this uh, conference is just extremely deep and you could see it in the tournament when you're looking at those championship games and you have 
a 10 seed. You had an 8 seed. In the semifinals, you had an 11. The only top seed in pool play was Notre Dame to, to make it to the semifinals. That, that just goes to show how good and how deep the ACC conference is. Gabby, when I look at, at the way this is all coming together for the ACC, I, I don't want to put too much stock in the four host schools, okay? I do, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, that's the most of any conference. I want to put a stock in the bigger number that comes out today. Uh, are we looking at 10, or do you think 11 is the ACC number at noon today? You know, everything, the, the whole entire talk has been that number 11. Clemson, did they do enough to be able to get in? It's tough because when the selection committee is going to come in, are they going to be able to say, hey, yeah, we're going to give, you know, the ACC 11 teams. I think 10 for sure are going in. Um, you know, I, I got to speak with Link Jarrett, and he came on uh, with us, the televised show, uh, when we were on with Mike Monaco during the game. And, and he told us, you know, all these 12 teams that are here at this tournament, every single one of them deserves to be in. And when you see the way that they're playing, you look at their non-conference records, it's a point where you're like, yeah, every single one of these teams has the ability to easily go to regional and win. But I don't know if we're going to be able to get that 11th team in there. And I think that 11th team would be Clemson. Hmm. Well, Gabby, we showed the RPI rankings earlier on. This is a conference with 11 teams in the top 34. Clemson is 34th in RPI at the ACC player of the year. You're playing in what's I think pretty clearly the best league in, in the country. Why would Clemson not make the tournament? I think the only reason why they wouldn't make the tournament is because there's so many teams that are going to go in. And that's unfortunate because it shouldn't be that. It should be the best teams that are going in. But I think once they start to look at it, well, we already have 10 ACC teams in there. You know, let's get some other conferences in. And I get it. I kind of understand. Um, I think Clemson absolutely deserves to be in. You're right. They have the ACC player of the year in there and Wagner and, it's just one of those tough positions because even when you look at teams like Notre Dame, how does Notre Dame not host? Uh, I, we were talking mm-hmm. with Link Jarrett, and we were talking about him possibly being a top eight seed and getting maybe even super regionals. And all of a sudden, they're not even hosting at all. And that, to me, was completely mind-boggling. I get it. You know, it's hard to get in the flights and and all the, you know, the, the situations over there, but, but still, they deserved it. And, and if a team deserves to have it, got to give it to them drew you want to step in here you've already you've already said it's the worst year for notre dame in terms of the ncaa committee on anything i would like to step in here Uh, that's four sports if you're keeping track at home where notre dame has gotten completely railroaded by the selection committee and this one might even be worse than men's lacrosse now men's lacrosse didn't make the tournament which is a worse snub but how is Notre Dame not hosting? Like you said, Gabby, what is going on here? Is Mike Monaco in the streets of South Bend with a pitchfork and a torch protesting the committee right now? <laughs> no, he definitely is. And, and for good reason, because there's no reason that they shouldn't be at least a, a host for regional. At least a host right. for regional. Fine, you didn't want to give them a super regional host and bid. I get it. Okay, fine. They didn't maybe make the top eight. But you're telling me that they don't deserve to be a top 16 and host a regional? There's no that, – that, that's just yeah. mind-boggling to me. Yeah. 
Hey, Gabby, I want to go back to this tournament momentum thing, okay? Because Carolina won 15 of their last 17. Uh, I thought the Friday night win against Virginia Tech was terrific. Uh, The Saturday semi-win against Notre Dame was really solid, too. Then they end up winning in the championship game against NC State. I thought the Wolfpack helped themselves this week a lot. Uh, I'm a little concerned about Louisville going 0-2. I think they're 7-10 and all-time now at the ACC Baseball Tournament. For a team that annually wins 40 games, you know, you you worry about the carryover, although Dan somehow or another, despite some of these ACC tournament frustrations, still gets them to Omaha through the regionals. What team are you buying and what team are you selling, so to speak, after after watching the event play out in Charlotte? Oh, man, that is – well, buying absolutely is UNC. You, you cannot take away – what they have done and what they, they're the hottest team and one of the hottest teams in, in NCAA baseball, uh, the way that they've been playing just up and down their lineup, the production that you're getting, uh, the pitching staff has just kind of turned to complete 180, especially in the last 17 games where their ERA is, right. you know, 3.5 and below. Uh, so that UNC is definitely one of these teams that if they continue doing what they're doing, I can see them in Omaha, Easily, easily. Uh, and then, of course, you look at teams that, you know, that struggle during the tournament, Miami 2-0-2 going in. And the biggest thing that I look at with Miami is that their strength is that pitching staff. And when you give up that many runs in the tournament, uh, you lost to NC State, you lost to Wake, you gave up 25 runs. Um, that's the one that, that kind of scares me a little bit for Miami just because, the way that they've been playing at the end of the season, I know that before going into the tournament, they beat Notre Dame two out of three. So it looked like they had that momentum coming in and it was just not there for the tournament. They started off good against NC State. They had a 4-1 lead or something of that, and then it kind of just got away from them. Uh, So that's a team that kind of I look at as where can they take that next step? Are they going to be able to regroup coming into regionals? They're going to be hosting, so they will be at home. But it's one of those situations where can you kind of flip it around and get everybody playing on the same page? With Louisville, I don't think that's kind of the issue. They, they have the, the, the power in the lineup. They can hit the baseball. They can put up a lot of runs. So I, I don't mm-hmm. see them that being too much of an issue. Um, Miami's the one that kind of scares me, of course, a little bit more than all the other teams. Well, let's talk about Louisville a little more, Gabby, because I've heard enough about Miami. I did all ACC with Danny Graves last night. Now we've got another hurricane on on Packer and Durham here. So let's put the U to bed for a second. Let's talk about Louisville. I I want you to take us into the dugout here for that Thursday game against Georgia Tech. So Louisville drops their first game against Pittsburgh. By the time they play Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech, Pitt is already 2-0. So Louisville knows they're not going to get out of pool play at this point. They use 10 different pitchers, and they end up losing that game against Georgia Tech. I mean, you hate to say a team is punting a game, especially in the ACC tournament, but do you think that's what they were doing? And, and in that case, should we not be overreacting to the record in Charlotte? No, you. Uh, they absolutely were punting. And the reason why you punt in that situation is, one, you want guys to throw. Two, you already know that you're out of it. So why are you going to go ahead and throw your guys, maybe give them that extra rest? You know that you're going to be having these practices coming up. I don't see that being an issue. I think it's silly that if you go to the tournament and you know that you're completely out of it, you're not going to be throwing your studs. Maybe you'll throw them for an inning or two just to get some work in. 
throw some BP, like some bullpen kind of sessions on the field, and you kind of carry that over for the next week. A lot of times when you look at these games, too, uh, they play Tuesday and Wednesday. Some of these teams are out already. They're not going to play until next Friday. That's 10-day rest for these pitching staff. So they're going to have to learn what to do during that week, maybe midweek, or where they're going to throw their bullpens, <laughs> throw simulated games. Um, so it's going to be interesting how those uh, pitching staffs match up for the next re- for the regionals that are coming up. But I don't think that you take anything that happened in that Louisville game and be like, oh, there's concern there. there there's not concern mm-hmm. just because they already knew that they were out because Pitt was already going from their pool play. You know, Gabby, you bring up an interesting point about pool play, and there are pros and cons to it. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, now everything goes double elimination, and it's it's a different kind of stress, if you will, on a baseball team. Here's the other thought about pool play, though, for the ACC. In the ACC's perspective here, as awkward as pool play can be, and we saw it play its most awkwardest, if you can say that the right way English-wise, in this event, right? Because you're exactly right about Louisville. The minute they lost to Pitt, essentially Louisville and Georgia Tech were playing one on the house. We saw about three games that were just on the house as part of the pool schedule at the ACC Baseball Championship. But to the league's defense, in the nine years that they've done this, it's worked out for them in the NCAA to have a better product because they went like four out of six prior to going to pool play. Teams that would win the ACC baseball championship would be smoked in terms of pitching by the time they got to the next week. And I, I mean, I understand the yin and the yang of this a little bit. But in terms of the coaches making the right decision, don't you think they've they've done it here, even if we're left with two or three little games in the tournament format that, that might not have anything at stake? You know, that's one of the tough things. And, and we talked about it a lot, too. Like, the way that the SEC does it, to me, is a little too crazy because they play so many games, four, four games a day, and they're playing so much that they definitely burn out their arms. I think the ACC did it the right way where, you, hey, you have this pool play, and if you're out right away, then, okay, you're out. That's it. Like, you lost, and, and let's get going. But you're right. The teams that make it all the way through, like Sunday's game, you had guys that were like, hey, we have, you know, some some teams are going to be like, hey, we have our whole entire bullpen ready because luckily our starting pitching did really well, so we're kind of on track to be able to go. There's some that you kind of burned out and your whole entire bullpen is used up and you go to the championship game, you might have, you know, four pitchers that you're having to throw and you're hoping that your one guy that was on four day rest is able to come out and throw. And he's not used to that. Right. And sometimes it's the ace. So when, when you start looking at those kind of situations, you start putting in that how hard it is for the team, but how hard it is for the players because they themselves, they're not used to it. You look at Max Carlson, he ends up pitching yesterday's game on four-day rest. Sorry about that. I'm getting moving around here. You have Max Carlson on four-day rest. He's never done that. He's not starting. But then he comes out and he was outstanding for uh, for UNC. Yeah. So those are situations that you look at. Now, he's going to be on Friday, what, that's that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He's going to be on another four-day rest. Or do you move him back to Saturday and give him an extra day for him to be able to kind of regroup and get him going so that he's at normal? It's going to be interesting to see how these coaches and Courts Forbes is able to, and Avent as well, kind of get his pitching yeah. staff together for the weekend. 
And that's the tough part about yeah. the ACC championship play. All right, Gabby, we got to wrap it up. I'm going to do this, though. I want you to see this. Uh, you know our man Cameron Gorby, right? One of the great legends at the University of Miami. You know Cameron, right? Everybody knows Gorby. Yeah. Well, except Drew. Drew, do you know Cameron Gorby? You have no idea who we're talking about, do you, Drew? This is all you guys. It's a two-man right now. <laughs> okay. So, so Gabby, uh, yes. I saw um, – I, I don't know if it was your Twitter, but I know my man Jay Rowe was at the ACC Baseball Championship this year, wasn't he? Jay Rowe showed yes, up at the ACC Baseball Championship. Well, yes, a couple weeks ago on social media, Alex, you're going to have to get a one shot here. I saw this shirt, Gabby, on social media. <laughs> no block. Have you seen party. this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? I have this? not. Huh? But that's all. You have it? I have not look seen it. Look at the Packer and Durham trend setting, Gabby, continuing here. I, I, now, I love it. You, somebody who played at Miami, right? <laughs> you know that the current Miami Stadium is built on the side of the old OB, right? Yeah. So there you go. How about that's, that? That's these out, are that's outstanding. I love it. And you know yeah. what? They still have those signs, and the people are still out there with the no block signs for ten dollars, even outside of the Marlins uh, ballpark at Lone Depot. Hey, ten dollars. We got it. No, no blocking. Come in and park. It's no block. There. No so block. Ten dollars, Gabby. No block. No block. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you need to you need to talk to Gorby, uh, Cameron, who by the way just got back from Spain. I think he went over there to watch soccer or something. Uh, he sent me the uh, the shirt. I think the uh, you can order these at Miami Stadium. But how great a classic look is that? By the way, this one it's, is going to Packer. This one's going to Packer, that gonna, Gabby, because no, that one's uh, going to be sent to me. He, what are you uh, talking about? <laughs> um, the. Uh, Packer went to the 81 Clemson-Nebraska game at the old OB. And he tells oh, wow. a story of parking somewhere in Liberty City down there by the stadium. So you know how that goes, right? In the $10 no block. So anyway, uh, thank you, Gorby, for sending this. Gabby, great to see you. Appreciate it as always. Uh, Take care, okay? Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a you pleasure. Get like some old. sleep, my man. I will. <laughs> don't yeah, don't forget, by the way, the NCAA Baseball Championship 6014 field will be announced today at noon, 9 Pacific on ESPN2. Uh, the All-ACC crew tonight, by the way, uh, has a full breakdown coming up at 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, they'll examine the wrap-up, not only of the holiday weekend involving the ACC, but a look at well as well at how ACC baseball teams project in the NCAA tournament. When we come back, a final word on softball and what ended up being a really tough finish for the Atlantic Coast Conference. But in in whole, softball's really, really good. We'll talk about it next when we continue on Packer and Durham. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Hey, Drew Carter's in today for Pack who today is, uh, I don't know, Tuscany, maybe, Isle of Capri. It's about time for the Packers to go the uh, Amalfi Coast trip, too. They've done Lake Como, all that, Florence over the weekend. Uh, But Drew's here today and tomorrow. Bless your heart for coming in. And by the way, before we're done, before we're done today, people have reacted to Drew Carter setting the bar on facilities with a corporate banking name. 
So before we're done today at 10 o'clock, we will we will confirm all the places that are corporately sponsored by a bank merger. And we will do that before we're done. Um, the ACC softball season has come to a close much too fast. Uh, Duke, Clemson, and Virginia Tech in kind of a shocker, if you will, were all eliminated over the weekend in super regional play. The ACC had four national seeds. That's the most ever. Florida State, Duke, Virginia Tech, and Clemson. Six ACC teams went to the championship. That's the second most in history. They had seven, seven years ago in 2015. Florida State and Virginia Tech, highest national seeds in ACC history. Unfortunately, uh, nobody is going to Oklahoma City as a result. That's the unfortunate part. Um, we had precedent-setting seasons in softball. Duke, uh, first Super Regional. Georgia Tech, out on the road. Clemson, their first Super Regional. Uh, Georgia Tech back in the tournament for the first time in 10 years. But Drew, at the end of the day, unfortunately, nothing to show for it here. And that's the disappointing part. Super disappointing. I remember before the year started, Amanda Scarborough, ESPN softball analyst extraordinaire, had the bold prediction that three ACC teams could go to Oklahoma City. When the tournament started, that looked pretty good. She looked like Nostradamus a little bit. I mean, if you could bet on three teams making it to OKC from the ACC, those odds would have been pretty short, I think. You look at Virginia Tech and Florida State as top three seeds and then Put money on either Clemson or Duke to pull off an upset in a Super Regional was a pretty good bet, I think. And you fast forward to today, Wes, and it, the best season in conference history ends with a thud. And I think the biggest one and the biggest surprise was in Blacksburg, where it's just yeah. really unfortunate that Keely Rochard's career ends the way it did. A 12 nothing five-inning loss against Florida. Now, the Gators are one of the premier programs in the sport. They got a great coach and Coach Walton. There's no shame in losing to Florida. But I think with the season that Virginia Tech had and the arm they had in the circle, a 50-year senior who's one Mm -hmm. of the best pitchers in America, a lot of Hokies fans were expecting a lot better. Um, And it's just disappointing and unfortunate that that's the way it ends, but it shouldn't soil what was an amazing season for the league as a whole. I agree with that, and I think the other part about it is this too. And we started this show talking about the, uh, you know, the prominence that women's lacrosse has gained here in the last couple of years because of you know Boston College and North Carolina last year, Syracuse. Uh, these teams this year, Syracuse as well. Kayla Trainer took them to the to the quarterfinals. You get these notary notoriety. Well, Florida State's kind of been that. Clemson is now coming on. Virginia Tech, Pete Demore, they they've done a terrific job. Uh, Aileen Morales and Georgia Tech's done a great job. Marissa Young and Duke. You see these teams now kind of becoming threats in the ACC behind the the juggernaut that Florida State has built. That's a good thing for the league. Unfortunately, sometimes the way you're judged is the way this particular event goes, right? And unfortunately for the ACC. You didn't get any of those three to advance, and that's the hard part, uh, especially on a Monday like today. But, as you say, it does not diminish uh, the proficiency of the season, the record-setting nature of the season in some respects, and what is ahead for ACC softball. I will go with you on Richard, though. Difficult to see a career that good in like that in uh, in a tough loss at home. 
yesterday to Florida. Uh, Nine o'clock hour, we get Scott Forbes. We also take a note on ACC National Championships because Drew brought this up earlier. There are now seven national championships in this athletic and academic year for the Atlantic Coast Conference. We will talk about that and more and show you all of them when we continue on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham.